podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Before we begin, we have a message from the Wisdom Shop. This week, we have the first of four weekly Beat Black Friday sales. For a limited time only, you can get 20% off on the Wisdom Panama hat, the perfect gift for a well-deserving umpire or official at your club's awards evening. To get yours today, visit wisdom.com forward slash shop. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast, going daily for the T20 World Cup. I'm joined by Wisdom.com's Katia Whitney and Wisdom Cricket Monthly Editor-in-Chief Phil Walker, back from his holidays. Phil, <laughs> did you have a good time? When? On your holidays. Yeah, I did. I had a lovely time. I went to Mozambique uh, and spent a glorious couple of weeks out there. Caught the back end, uh, well, it's caught the start of the, the tournament with, with, with a couple of friends who were out there. Uh, and then came back to, to to a thoroughly thoroughly unhinged London town. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm still trying to pick up the pieces. Really, it's always a horrible readjustment, isn't it, when you get back? Um, but I'm trying to throw myself back into the cricket as best I possibly can. Um, quite a good weekend of it, I've just seen as well. So yeah, I'm starting to reacquaint myself with reality, or rather, Britain's current version of it. Yes, we will get to the weekend in a bit. It is, of course, the morning after, the morning before, uh, but we're still, still trying to digest that incredible game at Melbourne. The world keeps on turning and cricket keeps being played. So we'll dive into India Pakistan in a bit more depth later. But first, let's start with Safkavi Zimbabwe at Hobart and some lovely DLS nonsense to get our teeth into. Uh, Zimbabwe made 79 for 5 in 9 overs, reduced their innings, and Safka were 51 for 0 after 3 overs when the rain returned. First, before we get into the DLS, there was a bit of criticism of some perceived Zimbabwean time-wasting by some South Africa fans, and I think Marazan Cap tweeted that, and also of the fact they were playing at all. I think Richard Ngarava slipped slipped over and hobbled off, and we don't yet know how bad that injury is. Uh, Katia, should they have been playing in those conditions, do you think? Well, I mean, it was a bit of a farce, to be honest, but I think the umpires did a good job in getting some kind of cricket played, but I think they were too not willing enough to take them off when it clearly became a little bit dangerous and as you said no one really wants to see a big quick fast bowler go down injured because that's a long way to fall um but yeah I think they could have taken them off sooner um but we'll get to the problems with them taking them off sooner in a bit won't we yes let's talk about uh the Duckworth Lewis Stern method I guess um so the situation as it was was as I said that were 51 for naught after three overs uh, had they said, let's play a five-over game, then Stafford would already have been past the adjusted target and they wouldn't have had to face another ball before being declared winners. So you could uh, sort of tweak the interpretation of the DLS rule, have it be more fluid. It's something that Duckworth and Lewis themselves advocated. Uh, in 2017, Australia were knocked out of the 2017 Champions Trophy in very similar circumstances after a similar defeat to Bangladesh. Uh, Phil, I know you love uh, this kind of minutiae and niche cricket rule uh, adjustments and that sort of thing. What, what do you make of it? Well, obviously, it's 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 another head spinning uh, little slice of absurdity that cricket likes to throw at you. And even in a game with next to nobody there, when it looked for all the money, like that game was going to be rained off um, in the dead of night at Hobart by the time it finally did come to a soggy non-conclusion. 
nonetheless, cricket still throws up these talking points. Now, uh, the key point in what you make, the key point that you make, I think, is that Duckworth and Lewis, who are the you know the arbiters of this stuff, they have said themselves that uh, it would not be against the laws as they stand, and it would not be against the um, the, the, the you know the diktats as as outlined. Um, for umpires to show a bit more flexibility and to interpret the laws with a bit more energy than the the current passive approach that they that they take. So, the Australia game that you mentioned from 2017 in the Champions Trophy is probably as as good a model as you can get. Now, the the situation there is that they played Bangladesh. Bangladesh got bowled out for next to nothing, 180. Australia were rat- rattling along, 16 and a half overs into that into their innings, knowing that you needed. 20 overs for a completed game, and they'd already gone past the target as it would have stood at 20 overs when they did come off after 16 overs. Uh, a, a more active interpretation of the, of, the, of the rules would have seen a good result there, a fair result for Australia. Uh, apparently, there is a precedent, right? It did happen in the Big Bash yeah, last year or the year I before? I can't remember when it was. Like, there's, there's been a couple of weird times in the Big Bash. There was one time when a team was already... A- past the adjusted five over total and they made them come out and face one ball which was completely bonkers mm. and this time it was pouring with rain they said let's play a five over game and then they were like oh you're already wouldn't you know it? you're already past the target and then didn't have to actually go out and yeah yeah so so clearly it's not beyond the wit of man and it's not requiring the laws to be um fiddled with mm-hmm. or adjusted at all and if the bosses themselves uh, those estimable boys, you know, that Messrs. Duckworth and Lewis are saying, and this was an article that they wrote on Crick Info in 2019, saying we, we need to just evolve this a sli- slightly bit to, to, to take into account these not uncommon events, right? You know, the, there are a number of examples that they listed in that article from three years ago. Uh, we're in a World Cup here, and South Africa are playing for their lives, and they've been buffeted a little bit, as we know, but they've, they've put a good side together. And those those two points dropped uh, could be absolutely critical to to their chances um, in this tournament. So we're not playing for peanuts here. This is significant stuff, uh, and you can understand how frustrated they will be on a number of levels, not just being literally within two and a half three hits from the cock of winning the game, uh, but also that the, this particular quirk in the in the laws could could have with a bit more imagination, could have fallen in their favour. I imagine that there will be an ICC statement. I I will imagine that these kinds of situations won't happen again. It's remarkable that they've been asleep at the wheel, really. That if it's happened in a world tournament, what, did I say 20? Yeah, 2017. And now five years on, and they still haven't kind of got round, in effect, to rounding up their umps and saying, look, fellas, if and when this does happen, this is how we deal with the problem. Uh, It's cricket. Um, I had to read that piece two times after it kicked off just to get my head around it myself uh but you know this is this is what the game throws up for you even in in the fag end of a of a, of a rain rain off there's still stuff to get your teeth into mm. i think it's worth saying as well it's a shame that that innings from quinton de Kock is going to come to nothing because that was a really really good innings like i think bavima faced what two balls yeah what was he 40 odd not out 47 not out of 18 balls eight yeah. fours and a six uh and expunged Forgotten about. Yeah. Brutal for South Africa and significant as well for that group, I think. Yeah. I wouldn't think it's not that likely they'd be knocked out of a World Cup by a combination of 
poor weather, a confusing rain rule and some misfortune. I've got a message from my mate. They are cursed. Yeah. From 92, the famous, you know, 22 ball, 22 runs to, to win off one ball. Obviously through to the infamous 03 misread of, of the of the Duckworth Lewis list at the time by Sean Pollock and, and Boucher. And, and now through to now, um, it would be a great shame for them uh, who, as I've said before on this show, you know, they're a very, very likable team, South Africa, and they're building something quite quite attractive, I think, uh, with a lot of different variety in, in that setup. It would be a great shame if, if this is what nobbles them come the final analysis. Phil, you want to talk about Zimbabwe as well? It was just something, an aside, that we had a quick brief chat this morning. There's something really, really admirable about Zimbabwe, that they are the team that refuses to die. If you were to take a line through their history over the last 20 years or so, then it's a story of um, profound administrative uh, mismanagement, uh, high-end corruption, player revolts, um, unpaid wages, uh, the collapse of their domestic infrastructure, and uh, the sense that at certain points that the ICC would have been quite happy to have let them drift away into the margins, and yet they keep coming back. They keep overperforming for their resources and for their reputation. Uh, they... they they they're competitive in test matches when they when they play. Um, they turn Bangladesh over, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this tournament, not many people were saying look out for Zimbabwe in the group stages, and yet they played a superb game against Ireland. You know, it beat Ireland quite comfortably. Sikanda Raza, who's their probably their their one star name, uh, and a brilliant cricketer. He made eighty and forty odd balls, I think, in that game, and, and took one for twenty odd and won them that game. We've never seen him in England. We've never seen him in the IPL. He's played a bit of uh, Pakistan Super League stuff, I think. Um, but th- these cricketers, these very, very good, resourceful cricketers, they, they, they have next to no leg up in the world game, and yet they continue to, do, to perform and to justify their place in, you know, on, the, on the top table. And uh, it's just a very good story. Someone should write it. Someone who knows more about the, the ins and outs of Zimbabwean cricket Someone like Liam Brickhill, for example, who's a good writer, writes for, for us and for Cricket. But someone needs to tell that story because it's a rousing one. And if if this, again, is another tournament where you see the expansionist nature of of world cricket really, really working for the game at this particular format uh, and the lines being ever more blurred between the haves and the have-nots and the big, the big teams in so-called and the smaller teams so-called, then it's perfectly encapsulated, I think, in this Zimbabwean side. Um, just briefly, they were a bit unlucky with the bat. You know, it's always a highly to nothing nine-over game, and you, you you bat first. It's so hard to work out what is a competitive score, especially when it's raining and so on. Uh, they went a bit too hard, a bit too soon. A couple of nick-offs, I think, always unlucky in the first four or five overs. A run-out, obviously, or two run-outs. Um, so yeah, it was it was a tough night for them today. Uh, but for, but whatever happens from here on in, in the tournament, uh, there are some players that that demand to be to be watched, and and I hope that that the world game, as in the domestic world game, pays more attention to some of their talents uh, than they have done up until now. Mm. Good answer for a question you, you you weren't sure I was going to ask. It was uh, in there somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely in there somewhere. Uh, that, that, yeah, there was a fun moment as well. It's worth mentioning of. Uh, a great five-run penalty for South Africa where Decock took off his glove 
uh, just so he could throw the ball in better. And then the throw came up with him on the half volley, so we couldn't gather it, hit him on the pad, hit the glove, and that was a firing penalty and extra ball. See, Katya, you're learning, right, week by week, that this is this is the stuff of Ben's life, right? This is yeah. the stuff that really gets the juices flowing. You just have to ride with it, okay? And his boyish little grin, you just have to try and put up with it. Look past it, because there is some gold in that, in that there hills. Uh, well, on, on to Bangladesh, Netherlands anyway. Uh, this was a good game, an important one for Bangladesh. They've lost, I think it's 21 of their last 23 against full member size in T20Is, which I guess is still true, given Netherlands aren't a full member. But I guess they're now in a position where if they beat Zimbabwe and then maybe get one upset against the other three teams in the group, they've got an outside sort of the semis. Uh, Katia, Netherlands will be kicking themselves a bit though that they let this slip, I guess. Yeah, uh, well, I think whenever you lose by that smaller margin, chasing a relatively low score, you're going to be kicking yourself. And I know Sri Lanka, we've said, um, sorry, Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Bangladesh aren't the best team, uh, aren't the best in the best of form going into the World Cup. But you would, you know, you've still got to take them seriously. But Netherlands could have really done themselves a favour here, particularly when you're thinking about the next World Cup. I think, as we've already said, that one of Scotland, Ireland or the Netherlands are not going to qualify for that tournament, probably. So they could have beaten... Bangladesh and got themselves within a fighting chance of finishing within the top eight um, and also done Scotland and Ireland a favour in the process um, but I think they're going to really struggle now I think Bangladesh were the ones if they were going to uh, pull a fast one over anyone or any of the full member sides it would have been Bangladesh. If When you look through their scorecard as well opener nicked off first ball um, Taskin Ahmed man of the match for bowled really well actually he's a very good bowler and only now we're we really seeing it apparently he's been working quite hard with Alan Donald on his wrist position, standing a bit taller at the crease. But we saw him a few years ago against England in an ODI series. He looked like the real deal, so it's good to see. But anyway, Netherlands chasing what one four four, Nick off first ball, left-handed opener. So again, another day you just play and miss. Run out, two run outs in your top five. Um, one for Max O'Dowd, the opener, and then another one, um, Tom, Tom Cooper in the middle order, didn't even face a ball and got run out for naught. So all of those little marginals have not gone their way uh, and it would have been another landmark win for them if they'd been able to pull that off. Uh, as it is, Bangladesh can kind of be pretty thankful that they've got out of that one. I think the first game in a tournament is always the, the, the trickiest. And, uh, and so I think it sets up that group quite interestingly, actually. I think, I'm not saying that Bangladesh are going to go ahead and win it, but they've got some players in there, you know, and if they can... They can build on that pace bowling side. They fielded brilliantly as well, by the way. Fielded absolutely brilliantly. Um, so, yeah, they, they will upset some of the bigger teams as well, I think, no doubt. Spare hmm. a thought for um, Colin Ackerman as well. I think 68 yeah. or 44 or something like that. If just one of them had stayed with them, then it would have been a different result. No, this is it, yeah, indeed. And, and they needed a final wicket partnership in the end just to kind of get close in the end. But, uh, yeah, one that got away for the Dutch. Yeah. Uh, it's, as Katia mentioned, we should talk about that qualification pathway just a little bit because these games can sort of if you think these two sides are going to really threaten the last four you think like why are they important but they really are um there's a great pod for me by the way you've got weird penalty runs dls madness and some uh, some qualification pathway yeah as is ill but if you know if he hadn't been i might have uh, rested the mic from him for this one come back soon son yeah uh so the 2024 t20 cup will be a 20 team event which is a good thing in isolation even if it's overdue uh but if you'll bear with me, that's there's some wrinkles in that that actually mean that some sides are less likely to make than they were to this one. So the top eight teams from this event, uh, the top four from each group, and then the next two highest ranked teams in the rankings at the end of the tournament will qualify automatically, 
which firstly seems like an odd way of doing it. Why not just do the top five from each group? Uh, especially when with the T20 rankings, you know, it's dependent a lot on, on how many games you're playing, who you're actually playing, rather than that being it being that good a measure of how good teams are. But anyway, the rest of the places will be decided through regional qualifiers rather than a global T20 World Cup qualifier. Uh, and I think it's plausible to argue that's mostly down to cost cutting, like putting on a, a global qualifier is quite an expensive thing when you've got to, the IC got to pay for all these hotels, have all these flights from Papua New Guinea and wherever else. Whereas if you have like a regional qualifier, a set of those, which they're already having anyway to decide qualification for this, then that's an easy way to do it. So, that's... But, but your Northern European teams, one's going to lose out, right? So almost, right? almost yeah. certainly, unless one of Ireland or Netherlands make it into the top four in their group, they will very likely be competing between those three, Ireland and Scotland, for two spots. We'll almost certainly see Canada at the next T20 World Cup in that America's group and Papua New Guinea as well, which is, you know, it's a nice story for, for those teams. Uh, but we'll likely get a bigger World Cup and perhaps more of a geographical spread, but also without some teams who are definitely among the top 20, not in that competition. So that's why this matters specifically for Netherlands and, uh, and Ireland, I suppose. So I'm right in saying that um, the Netherlands, Ireland and Scotland are out of the top world rankings if we expect the top eight to go as we expect it to go. And then it's only two teams from the Northern European qualifier that will go through to the next tournament. Yes, yes, that's almost certainly right. It's quite, it's a bit hard to tell predicting the rankings if Ireland would be able to break into those, into that top 10 or 11, I guess. But it looks very unlikely. Uh, so, yeah. And we can understand the the pragmatic nature of that decision. And as, as you say, it will be a cost-cutting exercise as much as anything else for a, an organisation that is trying its best to keep its head above water financially and to serve serve the world game as best it can as it looks to expand. Uh, it's not an easy gig. Um, that said, you, you put yourself in the minds of those at the top of Irish cricket, Scottish cricket, Dutch cricket, constantly striving, constantly trying to eke as much juice out of the the orange as you possibly can you don't get enough games you don't get enough support uh nonetheless they continue to perform and continue to offer the world game something really important and substantial and we've seen that over the last week and a half and then they then they they're thrown this latest sledgehammer it must be so demoralizing uh, but then what can you do? You know, th- th- this is this is the nature of the beast, I suppose. You know, as the game expands, it can't do so with a limitless pot of money, I, I guess. But yeah, my heart goes out to them, really, because, you know, they've been flying the flag for the for the associate nations for so long. And they are the benchmark of the, the, the emergent nations. Uh, and now their chances of moving on into big tournaments is going to be contracted rather than expanded. I guess Mm. you've also got to say that it does even the playing field geographically between associate nations because there are these tiers within associate nation sides anyway. So by guaranteeing qualification from uh, Southeast Asian emerging nation as well as all kinds of qualification for the USA because they're the hosts, it does give them a chance. But as you said, Scotland and Ireland have been and the Netherlands have been performing for so long with so little resources, it must be a bit gutting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see it from from both sides. Just, just, Just on... On the, the other emergent nations, I mean, you asked me, off, I don't know if you were going to go down this road, but the stuff that I was I was watching earlier in the week, having had three weeks away from cricket, um, weirdly, the game that stuck in my mind of the early stages was the Namibia-UAE game. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you, you definitely, you know, you remember these things. Um, but I watched the last hour or so, and it was brilliant. In the end, the UAE won it, their first ever game that they'd won in 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 the T20 World Cup. I think they'd had six goes at it before 
they weren't going to go through, but it was still their first ever win. And Namibia, if David Visa had got them home, then they would have gone through. There were the Netherlands players and families watching it in the crowd as well. And it was this weird sort of triangular narrative, if you like. And it was a really good good finish. Um, UAE held their nerve. Lad took a brilliant catch. Sherafu took a brilliant catch at long on to get rid of Visa. And that was enough to get the job done for, for UAE. But again, a cricket match in, in isolation, but a rousing one because you could see almost before your eyes these cricketers getting bigger, getting bigger in themselves, getting more more potent as cricketers on the world stage, you know, and you start learning about these players and learning about these, these new names. Um, uh, if, if they, if they started this tournament from scratch, then I think we've seen a very good case that it should have been a more democratic tournament and splitting it into part one and part two, uh, is not really borne out by the quality of the stuff that I've seen so far, especially with the West Indies having already packed their bags. Anyway, you've probably no doubt spoken about that on other shows. Uh, well, let, let's 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 go back to India Pakistan then. Cat uh, Knight asks, could anyone else have turned around that match like Kohli did? Priyanka asks, have we ever seen a shot like the one Kohli hit <laughs> Ralph for in the penultimate ball of his over? Especially considering the pressure situation. Phil, I'm going to give you free reign here to talk about Virat Kohli. So uh, away you go. I'm not going to overdo it. Um, believe it or not, I'm going to try not to. The shot now needs capitalisation, right? Uh, just like Strauss's catch has a, has a capital C, that shot needs a capital S from now until the end of time. Uh, I was watching it with a friend of mine. He'd stayed stayed at mine, and we were watching it the following morning, and he's of Pakistani origin, my mate. Uh, and we both spat our cornflakes out. We could not believe that, that shot. And I've watched a lot of cricket, so have you. And you wonder if new things can never happen anymore you know and and even like when a reverse scoop flick over your shoulder becomes passe you do wonder how much further you can go well it turns out that if you're Virat Kohli you can hit a rising short ball in at the body over the bowler's head into the sight screen with a kind of extraordinary arc to the to the the shot and he had to necessarily open his body up. He had to open his body completely, open his shoulders up in order just to, to get it vaguely down that, that direction. To hit it on the rise with the perfect connection, perfect parabola of, of, of that, that ball's arc as well. And to do it at that moment. And it was literally that moment, wasn't it? If that ball didn't go out of the ground, then they were sunk, really. They could have, he could have even allowed the last ball of that over to go, go out of the ground. But if that penultimate ball had been a one, two, a three, or even a four, then almost certainly Pakistan win that game. So it had to happen then. I don't think Harris Ralph could have bowled a better ball. It's that tough, hard length to hit. You bang it into the pitch, he bowls routinely 92 MPH. He's got two men out at Melbourne, so you can't play a cross-bat shot. You're going to nail that, even if you're Cody, you're going to nail that one in five to clear the man. So he only really had one option. Uh, but it's an option that he took, and I don't think I can think of anybody else who's, who's played that shot. It carried a tiny echo of a shot that I can sound really old here. And I didn't say it, see it live, but Viv Richards hit um, Jeff Thompson for six in a World Cup game over long off, off the back foot, 
to a ball that was shortish of a, of a length. So similar to Coley, right? But it made a bit more sense because he made a bit more room and he let the arms flow and it went over long off. Coley hit it straight, hit it dead straight. You have no right to do that. He has no right to do that. Uh, and yet he did. It's, a, it's an all-time knock. 80-odd off 50-odd. An all-time knock, that one. One for the ages. And you don't often say that in T20 cricket. But that really was one for the ages. Mm, yeah, that was a great video of someone filming from the crowd uh, where you see a different angle of the shot itself. We all see Hardik Pandya at the other end entirely in disbelief at what's happened. Um, we've got a few things just to sort of tick off from this game because of the sort of the fallout from the aftermath and things that people have uh, either been suggesting on social media or on Twitch, just, just general dissatisfaction. First of all, uh, Katia, there are a few people pointing out uh, Coley's query about whether that final over Noble should have been called and saying that was unsportsmanlike or whatever. H- how did you see that moment in particular? I mean, whether it was a proper Noble or not is pretty marginal. I think you could argue looking at how far he was down the pitch, whether the ball would have been above or below his waist height, if he had been in, in the crease. But I think it's kind of irrelevant. It's just great game awareness. You know, there's no way Maria Rasmus is calling that a Noble if Coley hadn't gone around and said, hang on, that's a no-ball. And that's just great game awareness because it was, what, 13 off three at that point? So if you don't do that, there's a much lesser chance that you're going to win the game. Sporting or not, it was still up to Maria Rasmus to call it. Maria Rasmus is big enough and old enough to say to Coley, no, that's not a no-ball, if he genuinely thinks it's not a no-ball. So you're going to chance your arm, aren't you? And I think it was any player like Coley who's going to be in that kind of bracket is going to do that in that situation. And if you're going to complain that it was called a no ball, say to Nawaz, why are you bowling a waist high full toss in the last over of a match if you don't want to get called for a no ball? If he doesn't bowl that ball, it's not going to get called for a no ball, is it? Regardless of whether it was actually or not. Mm. Yeah, there was a, a sort of similar incident not far before the series where Steve Smith, I don't know if you saw this one, Phil and Katia, mm. where he, it's, this was slightly different in that it was a, there wasn't really a question of, uh, of judgment in it. He just spotted there'd been a mistake by the fielding captain uh, that there were, too many fielders outside the ring. So he sort of slogs one. Uh, and Pointed straight away. And then it's like, yeah, points and then says, mm. call that a no ball. So, it's, you know, players saying to the umpires, have you got that? And there was also, you know, a lot of uh, Pakistan players surround the umpires well in the aftermath of it having been called a no ball. Um, I want to just cover off a few of the other umpiring things, if that's okay. You, so, you can, j- just briefly. Um, lots of players complain. Lots of players push the line. Lots of players throw their arms at the umpire and gesticulate as if that this decision has to go their way and it's a it's a deep scan if it doesn't. Coley's no different. Where Coley is different is that he has more power. He has more power than all but any cricketer who's ever really walked the earth. And when Coley looks into the whites of your eyes and he says, this cannot stand, that counts for a lot more than when the next player in line does the same thing. It's the old... Alex Ferguson thing, right? If Ferguson has a go at a referee, then it counts for a lot more than if the the other manager does. And that's the nature of of sport. Perhaps it's the nature of people. Uh, Certainly the the nature of kind of the alpha dogs at the top of their game. Uh, And Coley Coley always does this. You know, this is a part of the the circus-like package that he offers. Uh, For us to dwell, I think Kat is bang on, for us to dwell on it, is is joyless in the context of of the spectacle and what happened. Just v- very briefly, a word for Nawaz. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, I hope he's found an hour or two to sleep in the last couple of nights because that was heartbreaking for the kid. Really was devastating for the boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to check off the other umpiring things, uh, if that's okay. So f- first there was the... Uh, the waste what I mean, he can't resist it. But can't no, resist well, no, it. Well, no, it's, no, no, it's important. I know, I know, yeah. I know crack on. I, I don't really want to. We didn't discuss it yesterday because I was like, let's talk about the cricket and then this has all, been all that anyone's talked about. So uh, the waste tone I ball, Kat is pretty much checked off, but she's right. It's it's marginal. Um, the umbar has to decide. So there's actually a definition of the waste in the laws of cricket. I don't know if you knew this, <laughs> Phil. Uh, oh, please. As, uh, as, as, as the top of the trousers had Cody been standing upright and had the ball reached him. So the, the umbar's got to take into account a lot of things there. Did it's, you um, did you see the Jimmy Nation tweet that um, DRS should be able to measure the height between the waist and the crease or every cricketer should have their waist to crease measured before they start the tournament? But that makes sense, right? Because otherwise you can go in there, you can wear your trousers low. Yes. Or, you know, it, it says where, where, where you would expect the top of the trousers to be rather than well, where the trousers are. Well, that's clearly up for debate, isn't yes. it? Yes. If actually, if we're being serious, I would change the rules just being whether the ball would have just passed above the height of the stumps. So it doesn't matter nice. about the height of the batter. Nice. And you can also then that even... That is good and sensible very gardener i mm. like that you could you, a could, lot. you could even do it with hawkeye possibly yeah for sure i um, think you'd need to uh, i think it would be necessary to to measure it with hawkeye right yes but but as the rules are written it's not a howler uh the next is not reviewing that no ball call and the ic playing conditions state that umpires can only review no balls if a wicket has fallen a wicket didn't fall so they weren't allowed to do it i personally would change that playing condition as well uh, there's not that many high full tosses that would have to be checked or not or you could have it that the fielding side could review any umpiring decision rather than just wickets, but it's definitely not an umpiring error. And then there's the free hit dead ball thing where Kyler was bowled, it runs off down to third man and he, and he runs three. Uh, and uh, people saying, oh, that should that should just be a dead ball. But there's nothing in the laws or playing conditions that state that the ball should be dead. It's like if there's a direct hit and the batter's in his ground and they and they, and they they run another single, that's just... Yeah, p- people, of- people can't argue... Uh- about the interpretation of the rules, um, or the application of the rules, rather in that in that respect, because they are they are the laws. Sorry, the laws. Yes. Uh, however, it shouldn't be. Yes. Obviously, it shouldn't be. What you think it should be dead ball? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Do you, so actually, it's a bit of a digression. But do you think it should be a dead ball whenever the ball hit the stump? So if there's a run out, and because uh, I think direct hit should probably be encouraged. Like I quite like seeing fielders go for throws. It's a bit annoying when someone doesn't do it because they're trying to you know worried about conceding the overthrow uh, i don't know mate i mean this this is why you get paid paid the pennies uh, <laughs> to to argue the toss on this one i just think it's mortally unfair if you bowl the best possible ball on a free hit uh and you keep you keep the man to nothing uh, and then you end up conceding three i just I just, it just does, does not feel fair it doesn't require a massive tweak either to change to to shift that probably the easiest way to do it is to say right once once the ball hits the stumps if you do clean bowl somebody then it's dead ball as soon as you do that Mm -hmm. and then people people will shrug shoulders on it arguably even any wicket on a free hit you should you say that's give a bonus to the bowler even though it's not a wicket sort of thing so if you're caught in the deep no run but no penalty to the bowler i suppose Uh, and the final thing i'd say is that the playing conditions and the laws are free to read on the mcc and ic websites there's you know there's no special privilege we have in doing that you don't need to rely on and on one of your incognito tabs as yeah. well, you, don't, you don't need to rely on uh, on edited wikipedia screenshots or you know someone else saying something you can just go and read the rules and see if if you think there's been a mistake and you'll probably find that actually the umpires doing a good job because they're they're trained in there and they're pretty good at what they do <laughs> there's no fun in that though is there <laughs> yeah that's that, that's true yes depends uh, who you are okay, sure. clearly 
Um, anyway, uh, last thing on that game, uh, Hardik Pandya, we didn't really discuss at all yesterday. What a player. Yeah, he was brilliant. Uh, and uh, so I thought I'd just ask Wizen India staff writer Sarah Waris to uh, wax lyrical about him for a few minutes. And she did. So here's that. Yeah, Pandya was just brilliant. The focus will be on Virat Kohli and rightly so. He played one of his best knocks ever. Uh, but Pandya was just the glue that held it all together. Uh, Virat Kohli admitted that the pressure did get to him in the run chase and that he was struggling out there in the middle. Uh, but Pandya just came onto the crease with the sense of calmness and it rubbed off on Kohli. You know, for a player of Kohli's stature uh, and his calibre experience, to confess to this not only highlights how uh, tense the situation was, but also highlights how Pandya as a cricketer has grown, you know, from this brash youngster, unaware of what to say, when to say, and now to becoming the greatest batsman in the world with 90,000 people is just a massive thing for him. And I think this calmness has come about very recently, ever since he was named the captain of Gujarat Titans in the IPL. Uh, there he just led from the front, he batted up the order at number four, he knew uh, what the situation was, what the game demanded and he did exactly that, led from the front and led them to the title when no one really gave them a chance. This confidence was also visible in the Asia Cup match against Pakistan when India needed six to win in the last over. Uh, and Pandey, you know, just gestured to Dinesh Kartik saying that he would get the job done and not to hurry. And, you know, that that's what he did. So that quiet calmness and confidence in his skills is so heartening to see. We've spoken a lot about his batting, but uh, but what he brings to the team with his bowling is also massive. He cranks it up, sends down rockets, and against Pakistan, he picked up three wickets in the middle overs. If not for these wickets, India could well have been chasing a much higher target. Uh, and on the topic of how important he's become for the team, uh, one... An area where, where India struggled uh, when Hardik was injured was that none of the top six could bowl regularly. So it affected the balance of the side. And now to have an all-rounder who can bowl close to 90 miles an hour, pick up wickets, finish off games, um, is a huge boost to the side. Obviously, he didn't finish off the game against Pakistan and his knock of 40 and 37 balls will pale in comparison to Kohli's but what he brought to the crease you know that overall calmness and he was pumped up when Kohli was hitting the sixes telling Kohli that he could do it and after the match he went on to say that he'd take a bullet for Kohli also you know just shows what a team man he is and what he brings to the table is so much more than you know what what a scorecard uh, will say till a few years ago his he was more in the news for his off field life he was the party animal he was banned for going overboard with his comments on women in 2018 um it was 
the lowest point of his career but hardik pandya turned that around and said that you know it changed his life and he said that he realized that he has to prioritize cricket after that and there's been no looking back this year he's made a remarkable return to the game but what stands out is you know he has a sense of security about his place in the team this has made him more mature made him more responsible uh, very often players can't judge between complacency and confidence but hardya hardik pandya has managed to do that so perfectly he is aware of his flaws he knows what he can bring to the table um and he is confident that he can win india the matches which is i think the greatest uh, strength i'd say so uh, these this is why he was such a great leader in the ipl also and i think he would be a great leader for india and after rohit sharma hangs up his boots i'd say make Ro- uh, hardik pandya your next white ball captain Finally, Phil, as you mentioned, you've been away for a while and there was uh, one player you decided you want to talk about a little bit from the world of cricket, New Zealand's Devon Conway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, just that that's been, for me, the best knock of the tournament so far from what I've seen, um, except in Kohli's innings. Uh, he's he's right up there with one of my favourite players in, in the game at the minute, Devon Conway, and he's got an outrageous T20i record. He averages 58 from 29 games, so he's only just kind of getting going, but he's made three nineties already. He's the only player in history, you all know this, the only player in history to have been out three times in the nineties in T20 eyes. A couple of, couple of done it twice and loads have done it once, but Conway's done it three times. So with a fairer wind, he could have had three hundreds already at that level. He, he was brilliant in the IPL, but, but I think because he's a New Zealander and because he's South African born and because he's like an itinerant kind of cricketer who's moved around the houses before landing upon this spot in this side I think it goes a little bit under the radar still but I think he's a world-class batter um, at all levels we've seen a brief indication at test level but I think New Zealand if they're going to go go far and I think they can by the way um, then it will it will be based around Conway. They they batted him at four when he first came in at the T Twenty side. He's clearly an opener, little little lefty, explosive left-handed opener, and they can just bat around him. Phil An- Finn Allen will open the batting with him, as we've seen, and you know he goes at a fair lick as well. So they they are a dangerous side in this tournament, and they handed it to Australia. That is an extraordinary result first up. Um. And it throws that group really open as well. And I guess if England turn Australia over, then Australia are staring down the barrel, mm. which would be funny. Yeah. Some really good stats in there, Phil. Oh. I've, I've, I've got... No, yeah, that you said. No, crack on, crack I, on. I've got one stat to close out the show. Uh, Virat Kohli's average while chasing in the T20 World Cup, uh, 270.5. Uh, You're joking. No, that's, that, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> All right, that is a belter. Yeah. Let's call it. Uh, so yeah, that, that is the end of uh, today's... Wiz and Grickly weekly podcast World Cup daily. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, and if you did enjoy, please leave us a nice, maybe a five-star review on the app of your choice. Cheers.
Social Podcast Network.